congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 20 of our text, the Pharisees asked that very important question of the Lord. It is a question that has occupied the mind of so many of the Lord's covenant people all throughout the centuries. When is it that the kingdom of God comes? And people have asked that question for different reasons. Some ask it because they longed for its coming. But others, just out of religious curiosity, or in order to speculate about it, and even for the purpose of personal gain. And there always has been, and there still are the preachers and authors of books who have posited that question of when the kingdom of God would come in order to provide then their own theories and predictions. But all of it has been, been proven wrong when time went on. But, well, they had a time in the limelight and with that also then the reward. Now, we don't know, of course, what exactly motivated the Pharisees when they asked this question of the Lord. They had already since long decided that Jesus was not a prophet, that he was really in danger for their religion, that he had a completely false religious influence among the people and that he needed to be stopped. So this question could well have been one of their attempts to test the Lord and to discredit him. It could have been, but it doesn't have to be. Since the Lord had been speaking a lot already about the coming kingdom, and the preached that it was near, he even had sent 72 disciples out all throughout the towns of, of Judah to preach that the kingdom of God was near, it could well be that they just asked him. If he knew so much about it, then why not ask him? They were very, maybe not so much interested in the when of his coming, but more in the how. See, they knew the scriptures, and they believed that the kingdom of God would come in the same way as earthly kingdoms had come. Especially looking at David's kingdom. You know, that David's kingdom was established with great victories over, over the enemies. In their mind, the kingdom of God would be an earthly kingdom and it would manifest itself as an earthly kingdom. And so their question about the when of the coming of the kingdom is ask, actually a question of when they would finally be able to see some visible, some tangible signs of the coming of the kingdom of God. That's what, that's what it was all about. Now, it is about the Lord's answer to this question of the Pharisees and then also about uh, the teaching of his disciples related to that question. That I will preach the word of God to you this morning under the team. Jesus teaches about the coming of the kingdom of God. And then he teaches that it comes after of at the present, not with outward signs. And then that it also comes after 
suffering a rejection of the citizens of that kingdom. And then finally we see that it teaches that it comes unexpected and with judgment. So the answer of the Lord to the question of the Pharisees was the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now for the Pharisees and partly also for the Lord's disciples, that answer must have been surprising, if not somewhat disappointing. For the Pharisees, the answer was probably a confirmation of their conviction that Jesus was indeed a false teacher. Did they not know for sure from the scriptures that the kingdom of God would come with great power and glory? Did not the scriptures prophesy in Psalm 89 that the Messiah, the promised king of the, of the kingdom of God, would be the most exalted upon all the earth? And that his throne would last forever. And that he would just crush down his enemy before him, strike down his adversaries. And did not Psalm 72 teach that in his days righteousness will flourish and prosperity will abound. And that he will rule from sea unto sea. And that all the kings and the nations will come and bow down to serve him. And how can anyone say that those things cannot be observed? How can Jesus say that the kingdom of, of, of God this cannot be observed? And the Lord's disciples, they probably listen to the Lord's teaching and, and, and to an extent believe it, but they did not fully understand it. They understood that, they also understood that the Lord would restore the kingdom to Israel later. After his resurrection, they will still ask him about it, as you can read in Acts 1 verse 6. But the Lord's answer is, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. And to make sure, that, that, that means that it doesn't come with great signs, like victory over the enemies and great prosperity, the Lord continues and says, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And this then confirms what the Lord already said, that the kingdom of God is not coming with great signs. The kingdom of God already was in the midst, but they had not noticed it. Why not? Most likely because they were looking for the wrong signs. So now the Lord leaves the Pharisees with this answer. And then he focuses his eyes upon his disciples in order to teach them more about the coming of the kingdom of God. And the Lord does this in the form of a warning. This is a warning, of course, not only to his disciples, but a warning for all the Lord's followers. Those of that time, also us. He says, the days are coming. When you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And this counts, first of all, of course, for 
the disciples who were listening to him at the time. And also for the members of the early church, from the early church history. For them there would come a time of terrible persecution. We can read all about it in our church history books. We can just imagine how the apostles and the members of the early church at times have wished that they would indeed see even if it was one day that they could really see that the Lord is ruling the world with power and with judgment so that the powerful protection of the Lord for his church would be evident to everybody. They would love to see a day of the Lord like in the past he defeated the enemies of his people. For example, in Joshua's time. Yes, they have longed to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but they did not see it. And the one thing that counts also for the Lord's people in our time, who because of the increasing ungodliness of the world or because the terrible persecutions of many Christians in our world suffer, they too, they long to see one of those days of the Son of Man. Brothers and sisters, isn't it true that we long to see some visible evidence of the kingdom of God? Long to see that the Lord would manifest his power by at least destroying some enemies of the Lord's people. But the Lord says, you will not see it. You will not see it. In our time, there, there are even reformed people who believe that during the time between the Lord's ascension and, and his return, the rule of God's kingdom will be so evident in the whole world that because the whole world will be conquered for Christ. So that when he, is, when he then returns, he is able to receive a ready kingdom here on earth. For them is the advance of Christianity in this earth a visible sign of the coming of God's kingdom. But the Lord says, you will not see it. And they will say, the Lord continues, those false teachers like the Pharisees of the time, they will say, look here or look there. And the Lord says, do not go out following them. We know from the Lord's own teaching that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, when no one will expect him. And it is on that day, and only on that day, that we will see the kingdom of God coming with power, and judgment and great glory. And on that day, no one will have to say, look here or look there. Because the Lord continues in our text, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so the Son of Man will be in that day. In other words, everyone, everywhere in the world will be able to see him on his day. And then, it's true, then everyone will see those signs the Pharisees are looking for. Then the enemies of the kingdom will be crushed. Then the prosperity of his kingdom will flourish. Then all kings and rulers will come down and bow before the Lord. Now, does all this, then, brothers and sisters, mean that there are no signs at all? That the kingdom of God is in the world. That it is in the midst of us. Now what does it mean that? 
But they are just not the signs of power and might and glory, the Pharisees and, and, so, and even the Lord's disciples are looking for. Here and now, God's kingdom, which is in the midst of us, is a spiritual kingdom, which through the preaching of the gospel conquers the hearts of some and hardens the hearts of others. God's kingdom in this world is evident in the conversion of people who hear the gospel and believe it, but also in the hardening of the hearts of its enemies. That's the science right now, that the kingdom of God is in the midst of us. And, and, and if we are well aware of what's going on around us, we can see those signs. We can observe them all the time. The kingdom of God is in the midst of us. It's evident in the lives of the Lord's people when they strive to live a life worthy of the gospel, when they fight against sin in their lives, when they seek to be a light in the world. And so also at this time, the kingdom of God is in the world, it is in the midst of us, and it is evident in people who show the love of Christ to others, in people who turn the other cheek, who go the extra mile, in people who do not seek revenge, but pray for their enemies. And yes, the signs that the Pharisees were talking about and, and dreamed about uh, based upon the, the, the prophecies in the Old Testament, they will come too. But in God's time. The right time. And that right time will begin, and that's our second point, after suffering and rejection. We read in the verses 24 and 25 that the Lord said about himself, For as the lightning flashes and lights of the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But, and here it is, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And the Lord points here in the first place, of course, to his own suffering and rejection by the Jews. That has to come first. God's kingdom comes through suffering unto glory. And we all know that that is what happened. We all know that the Lord was mistreated and rejected by his people. Their shouts crucify him and we have no other king but Caesar. Was a united rejection of him by that generation. By the nation of Israel. But we also know that this rejection of the Lord did not stop at his death or not even at his resurrection. The rejection of him and the suffering continues this day, but now the suffering comes to those who belong to Christ, to the body of Christ, his church. The Lord's people will share in that rejection of the Lord by their generation. The Lord said it, you will be handed over to be persecuted and to be put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. The world rejects you, keep in mind it rejected him first. We read in Revelation 12 that the rage of the dragon, which is Satan, has been turned to those who obey God's command and the testimony of Jesus. 
And so this generation in our text describes by extension all those who will reject the gospel and hate and persecute those who believe it. So the Lord Jesus said, the days are coming that you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. And the time has come. And it still remains. The disciples and following them, Christ's church, have suffered immensely. The history of the church tells us of rivers of blood and tears of those who belong to Christ. They were rejected by their generation. And although we here, brothers and sisters, have the blessing of having, in, living in a country where we have religious freedom, it is different in the world. There are totally 195 countries in this world. There are over 130 countries of those 195 where Christians are not welcome. Where they are oppressed and in more than a few cruelly persecuted. They long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. But do not see it. Even in our own country, we can see that the enmity and the hostility against the Christian religion increases. And it's a, it is not so hard any longer to imagine that persecution of faithful believers will become a reality also in our country. Just think about what's happening to the schools. So the suffering and the rejection continues. And so it continues that there are so many people also in our time who desire to see one of those days of the Son of Man. And they will join the prayer to the souls on the altar in Revelation 6. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And so it is just as with the Lord, so it will be with the people, with his people, through suffering and to glory. They will long to see that the Lord takes charge with great signs and power, but they will not see it, not in their days. But then suddenly the Son of Man will be there, and that they will be, as we now see in our third point, unexpected and with judgment. In the verses 26 and 27, the Lord teaches that when he comes, it will be totally unexpected. Just as in the days of Noah. Totally unexpected, but not unannounced. Second Peter 2, Noah is called the preacher of righteousness. And so we may trust that while Noah was building the ark, that he had been warning the people in his days about the Lord's impending judgment, but they did not listen. So for those people, it came unexpected, but not unannounced. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage, and those things by themselves are not wrong, but the Lord expresses by this that they were busy with all sorts of things, but they had no time for God. They did live purely for themselves, 
for the here and the now without any recognition of God. They ignored God. And if anything, then it is ignoring God that provokes him to anger. It was the time that the sons of God married the daughters of men and their children with them. And so the believers mixed with unbelievers and the worship of the Lord became then compromised, adjusted to the lifestyle and forgotten. There are the days of Noah. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years without anyone paying attention. Humanity itself and its pleasure, its convenience and its comfort have become the only goal. And so the Lord says it will be in the day, in the days of the Son of Man. Notice that it says so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, not the day of the Son of Man. And the days of the Son of Man, that are the days that he had Yes, he received all power in heaven and earth, but he resides and remains in heaven. These are the days of the suffering, the, the rejection and the persecution of his people. But they are also the days that in spite of it, the gospel will be preached to all nations and will conquer the hearts of many. There are the days of grace. Those are the days of the Son of Man. And we, brothers and sisters, we are living in those days. And we see it increasingly all around us more and more people ignore the gospel reject Christ and his people by far most most people live purely for themselves and, and that attitude is spilling over in the churches also in our churches we are not immune for this world we are not again many of the sons of God Many of the believers will take the daughters of men, unbelievers as wives, and vice versa. Believers mix with unbelievers because, again, the cause of God and the gospel is suppressed for the sake of the desires of people. Christian morals are shoved aside, all for the satisfaction of self, and except for a, rel a relatively small remnant. Of people, the gospel, the word of God and his commandments are being compromised and dismissed as out of touch and out of time. The word of God is being twisted and spun to serve the, the, the desires of people, to fit their own chosen lifestyles, and people are living as if such life will go on forever. Already many people who call themselves Christians live lives that range from little compromise to completely corrupted. Much of the salt of the earth have become saltless. Much of the light has become darkness. And how great is the darkness already which covers our world. And it will go on and on as if it is supposed to be so. And so the Lord continues... And he says that it will be the same as in the days of Lot. Then two people were busy, eating and drinking, buying and selling, he said, planting and building. In other words, they too were totally focused upon their own satisfaction and pleasure. And we know from the story of Lot in the book of Genesis that the, the, 
the, the lifestyle of those of the people in Sodom was an, a life of self-seeking pleasure, and it had led them to great sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, as the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 1, that they degraded the bodies with one another. So it will be. Brothers and sisters, isn't it so? It's not the world that we live in. And how much of that have also spoiled over into the churches, into the hearts, and into the lifestyles of so many people that still desire to serve the Lord. And also he showed them, there was Lord, who according to 2 Peter 2 verse 7 was a righteous man and was greatly distressed by the sexual conduct of the wicked there in Sodom, when Lot's distress over it was ignored and was met with hostility. Until the Lord Jesus said, the day Lot left Sodom, then fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. And then here is all of a sudden the Lord's so severe warning. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man will be revealed. So it will be. This is how the world will be on the last day when the Son of Man will return. On the day that he appears upon the clouds of heaven and his majesty and glory and righteous judgment will light up the sky from one end to another. Nobody will expect him. Everybody will live for his own desire, for his own satisfaction. And nobody thinks about God. And nobody even asks the question anymore when the kingdom of God will come. Except for a few. So very important. We ask ourselves this morning, are you and I still serving the Lord with all our hearts? Are we the people who desire to see the day of the Lord? Are we? Are we the people who join the souls under the altar? How long, O oh Lord? Are we still mindful of it? That we are, we are God's workmanship. That we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. With God in advance prepared for us to do. We also read in the Bible that religion that our God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless. A difficult task is that. But is this task still a priority in our lives? Or are the good works which the Lord will require on the last day, works such as being a salt, being a light, such as feeding the poor, clothing the naked, visiting the sick of those and those in prison, in short, the works of mercy, are they already moved to a time that's more convenient for us after we have satisfied our own desires. 
questions that you need to ask yourself and answer too. In which place are we actively gathering a treasure? Is it in heaven or do we have actively most of it here on earth? One day soon and, and unexpectedly, there will be the day that the Son of Man will be, be revealed. Are we ready for it? The Lord says in our text, On that day, let, no, let one who is on the housetop with his good inside the house not come down and take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. When the Lord returns, it will be revealed where people's treasure is. Also your and mine. Those treasures, those whose treasures are here on earth will try to get to them, to protect them, to save it. And those whose treasure is in heaven, they look up to heaven and see the Lord with great joy. There'll be a big difference on that day. And the Lord gives us this great warning. He, he refers to Lot's wife. You see, Lot's wife could not let go of the life in Sodom. She did not want to lose it. She did not want to lose the treasure there. And so she perished with Sodom and its treasures. Lot and his daughters, however, left that life behind. Lost everything but saved their lives. And that's how it will be when the Son of God will be revealed. When he returns upon the clouds of, the, of heaven, it will be the day of judgment. In the verses 34 and 35, the Lord gives us a picture of that judgment. He says, I tell you that in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken. The other one will be left. There will be two women grinding together in a mill. One will be taken. The other one will be left. See, the judgment will reveal the division between those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. It will reveal the division between unbelieving and a seriously religious but unbelieving spouse. Make division between two people who like those two women working together in the same mill, seemingly living the same life, go to the same church, but unseen for the world. One has a treasure in heaven. All the other treasures are here on earth. And where the treasure is, there will be the heart also. And on the day of judgment, more than any time before, where the heart is, that will make all the difference. No unbeliever, a religious unbeliever, or not, will escape. Lord's judgment will find them out. In Matthew 13, the Lord explains the parable of the weeds. And he says that on the end of the age, that is the day of the Son of Man, he will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil and throw them into the fiery furnace. And our Lord, our Lord Jesus closes our passage by saying the same thing in another way. And he does it as an answer to the question of the Lord's disciples, where, Lord? The disciples wanted to know where the separation of taking the one and leaving the other will take place. And he answers, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. 
Wherever there will be dead bodies. Wherever there will be unbelievers on their way. The vultures. The angels will gather and find them. And do Christ's bidding. And throw them in the fiery furnace. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Brothers and sisters, young people. I know that this word of the Lord of this morning is, is just very severe. And, and you're right. There is not much comfort in it. And the Lord didn't mean it to be comfort. Why not? Because he loves you. And he wants to warn you. Because he now wants you to examine yourself and to examine your lives. So that the day of the Lord doesn't come unexpected for you. He wants you always to repent from gathering treasures in the wrong place. He wants you to be alert in this world. He does not want you to mix up with it. Not even as far as you think it is safe. He wants so much to prevent that one day you would perish with this world. He encourages us to live our life here and now as a preparation for his coming. To gather treasure in heaven. And that is why he pictures the world in which we live as a world running to a certain destruction as once Sodom was. As the people were in the days of Noah. And he doesn't want that to happen to you. That is why that severe warning is in there. And the comfort of this passage is that he cares so much about you. That he knows you so well. That he knows we are wandering sheep. And that we are all so easily conforming with this world. It is so easy to do. And he don't want us to do it. He loves you. Wants you to seek him. So do not become encouraged. Of, do not become discouraged. But please hear the voice and the very heart of your Savior. Because it is only for his deep love, for you, his covenant people, that moves him to speak this message. Amen.